Welcome to episode 17 of the Drug Training Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk to retired DE agent Randy Wagner. Randy's got 29 years of local and federal law enforcement experience. Uh, when he worked with the DEA, he brought the fight against drugs all over the world, particularly in Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. We're going to talk to Randy about the landscape of drugs internationally, and we're going to talk a little, uh, take a little bit of time to talk about China's Great War with uh, the United States, where China's shipping fentanyl precursors uh, to Mexican cartels. Randy and I got to talking at the Haida Commanders Conference in California a few months ago, and we had a great discussion on geopolitics when it comes to drug trafficking. And I really wanted to bring that conversation back to you guys. Welcome to the Drug Training Podcast with Keith Graves, a police officer who spent 28 years specializing in drug investigations and who regularly teaches law enforcement officers, private businesses, and concerned families on spotting and dealing with drug use. This podcast is the essential resource for both professionals and individuals who need practical help, advice, and insight. Now, here's your host, Keith Graves. This episode of the Drug Training Podcast is brought to you by OnlineDrugTraining.com. OnlineDrugTraining.com has the classes that I teach in the classroom online. You can learn about marijuana DUI investigations, fentanyl safety, fentanyl investigations, and much more. So head on over to OnlineDrugTraining.com and find a class you want to take and input coupon code DTP at checkout and receive 10% off your next class. Randy, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Keith. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, I think it's great having you here. Uh, why don't you tell the, the people listening a little bit about yourself and like uh, just, uh, just kind of that broad part of your DEA career and what you're doing now. Sure thing. Uh, so um, I started in 1992 as an Atlanta City Police Officer. Uh, I was employed by City of Atlanta for six years. I worked the 1996 Summer Olympics which was a great experience and uh, started talking to some more federal agencies around that time. I've, I always had an interest in joining a federal law enforcement agency. So when I was on patrol in Atlanta, I, I had a, a vast experience with working some cases with federal agencies and, and DEA really stood out to me. So uh, I applied with them. I got hired in early 1998, went to Quantico and uh couple months in the training, I found out that I was going to El Paso, Texas. And Keith, I was wondering who I pissed off at the academy <laughs> to uh, be sent to El Paso. But to be honest with you, it was a great five years. And uh, I'll never see that kind of dope again. Uh, at least that's what I thought. And then um, after uh, getting assigned to El Paso for five years, I uh, went to Hawaii and became the Hawaii Marijuana Eradication Coordinator, which was a great experience for me. I got to work with all the islands in Hawaii, all their police departments and so forth, Maui PD, Honolulu PD. We did, um, we did some marijuana ERADs in Guam and Saipan, which DEA Honolulu covered uh, at that time. So uh, we were going out there and National Guard was getting C-17s to take our helicopters out, which was a great thing. And then uh, promoted to uh, hide a task force group there uh, and then spent one year there as a task force supervisor and promoted to the resident agent in charge of our Santa Rosa, uh, California resident office, which was a great experience working as you know, you know, Northern California, a lot of the 
marijuana grows and so forth. But we wanted to, I want to sort of get away from that. And uh, we started doing a lot of OCDF cases with meth and, and, and heroin was starting to rear its ugly head again. Uh, so I was up here for four years and uh, I, and DEA, when you promote, you start promoting, they want to bring you to headquarters to see a lay of the land, how DEA works. And I was fortunate enough, I say fortunate enough to just to go south to LA and do my headquarters time at Office of Professional Responsibility, which is DEA's version of internal affairs. And when I bring that up, people's like, oh my God, you know, internal affairs. But quite honestly, Keith, I uh, I really helped a lot more people than, than hurt people there because uh, as you know, being former police officer, a lot of times people are just drumming up dirt and uh, false accusations and so forth uh, regarding what people are doing at work and so forth. So we were actually to say, we were actually able to save a couple careers because we did a dumpster dive into some of those accusations. And it turned out that a lot of times the investigation flipped back to the people that were pointing the finger. So um, be careful what you ask for. Um, after doing that for a year, I was very fortunate enough to be promoted to the assistant regional director of DEA's Middle East operations. I was stationed in Ankara, Turkey. Uh, at that time, I had five or six offices that I was in charge of, uh, Ankara, Istanbul, Tbilisi, Georgia, and uh, Dubai. And then shortly thereafter, maybe three and a half months, my boss, who was a regional director, uh, got shipped back to the mainland and uh, they thrust me into the uh, regional director spot after only being out there for uh, three months. So that's where I went from five offices to 11 DEA country offices to include uh, Moscow, uh, Kabul, Afghanistan, New Delhi. And uh, I did that for two years. Uh, I retired because I left my family back here in Santa Rosa. My wife is a police officer here. And uh, retired in September of 2019 and uh, took just maybe a, a month or two off to play some golf and get my bearings down and became an instructor and a consultant and uh, worked for a telecommunications company on the classified side. And then uh, a great opportunity came up uh, at the Northern California Regional Intelligence Center, where I am now. I'm the deputy director, and I currently run the cybersecurity program, uh, the terrorism liaison officer outreach program, and the strategy infrastructure and analysis team. So uh, I'm back in it because, like my wife said, I still had a lot of piss and vinegar left. And uh, I think she got tired of me. <clears throat> sitting on the back porch when the honeydew list was getting longer and longer and I'd just be back there having a beer. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm very fortunate as we all are, uh, had a great career, got to see a lot of different things and more importantly, got to experience a lot of things that, uh, you don't get to experience on a, on a regular basis in law enforcement and met incredible amount of great people in this profession all over the world. And, uh, I think that's why I want to get back in this because as you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. Absolutely. And you're doing great work at the NICRIC. Um, so let me ask you, it's some great experience being in charge of all those different offices overseas. What, what are you seeing? One of the interesting things that when we talked the other day was you were talking about Mexican cartels being in Afghanistan. 
and you know, stuff like that is just like I never imagined that they would have been over there. Yeah, and you know, a while ago, when when I was in, you know, when I was over in the Middle East in, in 2018, 2019, you hear about things. You know, you read some, you read some of the intel reports that they're there and so forth, and uh, but until you hear it from the people that are on the ground in Afghanistan, meaning the Afghan, uh, you know, like uh, narcotics interdiction units that we worked with in DEA in Kabul and Afghanistan, you know, when they have sources that are telling you this stuff, then you know, it's there. Um, and prior to that, I was researching some, you know, newspaper articles and stuff like that, but there wasn't a lot of information that, you know, it's all speculation. And, at that time, as you know, Keith, a lot of the organizations around the world, I mean, you know, we've talked about this several times, a lot of countries and uh, criminal activity, legitimate governments want to see our country crumble. So, as you know, hey, let's gather our resources together and let's go after them. And, and you know, the Mexican cartels will uh, pony up resources to help Colombians get their cocaine through, will pony up resources to help Afghan uh, heroin get through, poppy, and so forth. And as you know, you brought it up earlier, uh, the Chinese. When I was working in Hawaii, we would get several leads and pass everything to Coast Guard and CBP that we've got information that, you know, a Chinese boat is coming in, a ship, barge, whatever is coming in from China with ephedrine, uh, which is legal, as we know, and uh, its ultimate destination is ports in uh, Mexico. So, uh, and it's legal in Mexico for those Chinese ships to show up there with ephedrine. But as we all know, from there, it gets to go sideways. And, and that's a lot of the problems that we're dealing with in this country. Um, but uh, yeah, um, got some really good intel just the other day from a, a source of mine who's very close to the ground in Afghanistan that they're there operating now and, and not just in transportation of things getting through to our country, but also the manufacturer as well. Really? Yeah. It's interesting. So why, why would they go all the way out there? You know, why would they spend time out there? Because they see right now with the exodus of our military uh they see the exodus of other militaries that were uh in afghanistan for so long helping out uh much like in iraq keith there's there's a vacuum now of control uh and and who's going to take control of afghanistan either illegitimately or legitimately so again as you know the cartels mexican cartels any criminal organization is going to see an opportunity and and there's a big opportunity right now in afghanistan because of the chaos that was left after our departure hmm. so what are some of the things you think uh so a lot of our listeners are, are uh newer patrol cops drug recognition experts newer narcotics detectives what are some of the things that they need to know about international drugs you know just on the international scene because they're seeing the end product after it's made this big journey you know, but what do they need to know about uh, just the bigger picture of things? Yeah, and, and, you know, being a former patrol officer myself and as you as well, you know, 
we're always out there humping, doing 911 call after 911 call. So a lot of times it's going to be hard for patrol officers to make investigations <clears throat> and then because they've got to run to the next call or they pass it on to the vice unit or NARC unit, whatever, if, if a lot of these departments actually still have NARC units anymore. But it's important, I think, to see if, if you know where everything's coming from, then you have a greater idea who you might be dealing with at the local level, like here in California, you know, in the tenderloin, I'm, the tenderloin, as you know, Keith, is historically uh, been a, an area of drug trafficking, but more so at the local level. But, you know, it's been overtaken recently by Central Americans, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like it's just the Mexicans or, or anybody else. It's actually been taken over by the Central Americans. And uh, that's good intel to have when you start thinking about if you do have an opportunity to maybe work a case up. And, and I know people that are on patrol that actually work cases up in their off time, which is great. But we also have to be careful of that because you don't want to burn yourself out. But um, I think it's important today that like I said, due to the lack of narcotic units in a lot of these smaller departments, it's very important to bridge uh, those relationships with federal agencies as well. Uh, get with a local DEA agent, get with a local HSI agent and pass some of that information on to them. And a lot of times the people that were arresting at the local level just came from Honduras or Nicaragua three months ago but nobody's what I call peeling the onion back and, and seeing what brought these people here. How did they get here? And when they got here, um, I give you a perfect example of what's going on with that. Um, recently in, in Southern California, they had a rash of these high dollar residential burglaries. And uh, after peeling the onion back and, and, doing great investigations, they realized that a lot of these criminals that were getting arrested were coming from South America. And these were not Colombian drug runners or anything like that. They were actually flying here to wreak havoc on situations in Southern California where the situation we're facing all over the country now is a shortage of cops. Mm -hmm. So we are on a, a working group call with a lot of investigators in Northern California that we put on with the Nick Rick to uh, get the information out there and to see what everybody's seeing. And uh, it was alarming number of officers not knowing that they can reach out to HSI. You know, a lot of times HSI in California, are those 33 letters that, you know, you start thinking ice and you start rolling everything together. And I'm trying to educate this younger generation that, if you're working an investigation, there's no dirty three letters in, in any alphabet. Reach out to HSI because they're going to be able to work it back for you and let you know that your guy just came into the country 30 days ago. And now you're working on a package to possibly have that person deported. Uh, but a lot of times, as you know, without, you know, the bail that are, that's being set right now in, in a lot of these local courts, they're out and they're getting out of here. They're, they're going back to their country and they've already wreaked their havoc and the next one's coming in. So unfortunately it's a, it's a vicious cycle. Uh, and 
as I've talked to you about early, earlier, uh, crime and particularly drug crime is very cyclical. We saw heroin come about in, after Vietnam and quite frankly, during Vietnam. And then again, 10 years ago, obviously before fentanyl hit, we had the heroin problem again. And you can see where, okay, we've got a heroin problem and now we're going to start seeing more opioids on the street and things like that, which uh, translated into all the pills, which is translated now into all the fentanyl. So um, with, with going back to your original question, I, I would encourage uh, the local law enforcement officer who's pushing that patrol car, uh, seizing some fentanyl pills here and there, uh, cocaine, whatever you're seeing, try to try to really make contact. If you don't have a NARC unit, try to reach out to somebody in DEA or HSI and to help you work. And, and trust me, they're not going to steal your case. They're going to help you work up your case. Yeah. I got to tell you as a, as a younger cop, I remember, uh, well, I was a brand new, brand new NARC and, a uh, patrol officer told me, hey, there's drug dealing at this one gas station. So I go over, sat on it, and I ran the owner out. And it turns out he got popped by DEA for bringing 50 kilos of heroin into the country. Mm-hmm. And you realize that, like, man, this is a bigger case. So we sat on it, ended up working it up. The end result was uh, we got a pound of uh, white heroin, which back in the day, it's like the precursor to what fentanyl is now, and uh, which is a huge amount. And we worked with, uh, we worked with DEA. We, we had a whole bunch of different agencies in there and, uh, that was just working on a limited budget. You know, uh, we normally just work street dope. We didn't work bigger cases, but I know the DEA agents ended up tracking it back to, a uh, some group out of Russia that was bringing it uh, from Russia into Chicago, Chicago to LA, LA to San Francisco. And that was all started from a street cop. Yep. It's just like, Hey, I got a problem. And it's just, it, it's amazing what you can do as a street cop. And I think, I think people forget that, you know, yeah, no doubt. Street, like big international cases yep. start with a street cop. And I remember you telling me about that story and we actually talked about other things like that. And uh, you're absolutely right, man. You talk about building your reputation, you know, and uh, you know, Keith, how many times do we talk about, you know, deconfliction, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about it all the time, but unfortunately not everybody's doing it. And uh, I, I know everybody's not doing it because I've seen some of the uh, uh, reports where a lot of these agencies, and you'd be very surprised a lot of these bigger agencies that we have in California are not deconflicting. It's very, uh, it's scary. So why don't we talk a little bit about deconfliction? Uh, yeah. You don't just, some people may not know what that is or how it works. Yeah. Um, so Western States Information Network, which you should know in California, is a deconfliction uh, entity. They're based out of Sacramento. Uh, you can sign up with them and become a WISN member. Uh, you can sign up with us at the NICRIC. All you got to do is go to nicric.ca.gov. And as a local law enforcement officer, as a state, federal, whatever else, we have 20,000 members in our AOR, which includes 15 counties. So we have intel support. Uh, we have a lot of, we have, like I said earlier, our, our T-Loop program, where we have 12 officers assigned to our T-Loop program that are from Marin County and, and all the way down to uh, San Mateo County, where we go out and do outreach and provide training. 
Um, but a lot of times you can't get these these trainings unless you're a member because we'll kick out notifications and so forth. But going back to the deconfliction, uh, you know, if you're running a subject or a plate or or a residence, you know, make sure you're a member of Wizen or NICRIC. And that way we can do a lot of the legwork for you at NICRIC and so can Wizen. And, you know, we talked about it just a couple minutes ago that if you don't have a NARC unit, there's chances are you don't have an Intel analyst working any cases for you either. So uh, we can provide that investigative support that you're not going to get with your local department. If you don't have an analyst or if you do have an analyst, then uh, we'll be able to, fit, to fill the gaps for you. But it's, it's very important, Keith, like you just said, if you're not deconflicting, you don't know how far your case is. Um, I mean, you're talking about what started off at a gas station, had tentacles in Russia. So, uh, and, you know, the good investigators are always going to bring in as many entities as they can to help build that case out, because that's what our ultimate goal should be in law enforcement. Uh, so many times we, you know, we grab that one guy with a half a pound of meth or, or half a pound of fentanyl and everybody's patting each other on the back and high fives when the next guy is going through with another five or 10 pounds while we're all congratulating ourselves. And, and that used to happen a lot in El Paso. Uh, you know, the, the hundred keys of Coke would come over and, you know, everybody's busy focusing on that one tractor trailer. And then the other one that's coming through, that's tucked in with a, crates of tomatoes has the 500 keys in it. So, you know, a lot of times we, we get carried away with, with our successes when, uh, which is, don't get me wrong, is a great thing, but um, it, it's really important. A lot of times, I know, you know, there's always, a, there's always, a lot of times they're not running in one or two. There's, there's other load cars out there and uh, somebody's going to be a shadow and a lead car for a lot of these, these cars and vehicles as well. But uh yeah, it's just very important to deconflict, and it's very important to reach out to the other agencies because, again, we want to get more bang for the buck, and that's the best way to do it. Is and and nobody's gonna steal your case. If anything, they're gonna enhance it. And and I'm telling you that from personal experience. Much like you said, Keith, on your case, when I was Atlanta PD, we had a a car stop that had 25 keys of coke in it, and uh, we called DEA, and they came out and you know, they took over the case because obviously that's a great federal case, but at the whole, the whole time they were letting us know what was going on and they kept us in the loop the whole time. And that's when I really like, Hey, that's the agency I want to, I want to get on with. And they really, my experience has been that like you definitely, nobody takes your case to the, to the contrary. Like in my, my instant, they wanted to make me a task force officer. Exactly. And bring me on and they were going to pay for everything. And my department wasn't going to have to pay for a dime, but my department said no, because, you know, just that's the way it works sometimes. Well, but, be, yeah, because of staffing issues and so forth. But, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I was amazed. I'm like, you know, you call, I mean, and how it all started for me, we talk about deconfliction. Now, one of the other things is we talked about Wizen and Nickrick, but if you're anywhere else in the country, if you're listening to this, there's Rocky Mountain. Uh, information center. There's LA. There, I mean, they're they're all over the United States. There's a information center that you can join. And for mine, I inputted a name and a license plate, and I got a hit from DEA LA and DEA Chicago. 
you know, I, I've done deconfliction where I've called up. I only, I was in a hundred man department. I mean, it's not that big of a department and I deconflicted one case and they call me back and they're like, yeah, a guy in your department's already working that. And it turns out we were going to do a hit at the exact same place at the same time. And we're, we're not in the same office, but we worked in different units and we had no idea each other was working that just because that's the way it works sometimes. But yeah. And, and that's a great point. And, you know, I, I told you earlier, I started off, my first assignment was El Paso. I was at the field division and, and it was a great, ex- and, and again, trust me, when I laid in bed in Quantico asking who I pissed off and debating whether I should start putting in applications for Starbucks as a barista, I, I tell you what, Keith, El Paso was awesome. I learned so much there. And one thing, there, there's one word that just, you know, it's unbelievable that nobody uses this one deconfliction entity and it's one word and it's very simple and that's epic yeah yeah el paso intelligence center and to your point like you just said this isn't just for california not only is this nationwide but it's also worldwide when i was in when i was in el paso keith i had this passion to again being on the on the border you know there's all these mom and pop airports that are like in santa Teresa, new mexico and 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 Pecos, Texas, and things like that. And it's like, wow, what are we missing with those? So I would spend the night in the air tower with a customs. At that time, it was customs K-9. And uh, again, these planes that are coming in from Mexico, they have to, you know, they have to, to squawk and notify customs that they're coming in. But a lot of times what we were saying, that customs wasn't showing up until the plane, you know, was on the ground for 10 or 15 minutes. And you've got all these hangers and things like that. So we would always run all these tail numbers through Epic. And it turns out just because of our initiation of, yeah, spending the, the night in, in, a, in a tower wasn't the most uh, comfortable thing. But we built an OCDF case on a large organization operating out of war is based on tail numbers and epic was a big part of that because they had faa assigned and i was just throwing them all these tail numbers and they would they would alert me when my plane was landing in rifle colorado uh when it was landing in london uh so i encourage everybody uh particularly you know what we're talking about before, you know, Epic is a great resource as well. And it stands for El Paso intelligence center. And, um, a lot of times, man, they're, they're, they're putting you into people, not only all over the, the country, but sometimes they're putting you in with some of the, uh, international organizations as well, like NCA and, and England and so forth. So, uh, yeah, you're right, Keith, we don't, it, it we don't deconflict enough and we don't bring in enough agencies to help support our cases. And to your point, I was, when I was up here in Santa Rosa, I was, we had a lot of OCDF cases that we were working and, and I was deputy, I was cross deputizing, you know, Lake County sheriffs, Humboldt County sheriffs. And to your point, they might not have been able to give up a, a body full time, but when we we're paying all their overtime through the OCDF program, you know, the sheriffs and the chiefs were like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you whoever you want to cross deputize. There's a lot of times I had six or seven 
uh, sheriff's departments or police departments, officers cross deputized with us on one case. And, and they weren't always coming out at the same time, but we had six or seven that we could pick from, you know, Hey, I'm off that day. Sure. I can come out and so forth. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that you, you didn't get to uh, become a full-time TFO, but <laughs> I know you made the most of it anyway, when you, oh, yeah. uh, when you were working anything you could. So, and you know, you don't real. I mean, the TFO thing is real. The task force officer thing is really nice to have. It's, it's, you know, it does open up a lot of doors, but I'm telling you, I think a lot of these cops are missing out on some of these low, you know, they think I'm just a beat cop or I'm just a narc in a small department and they don't realize all the access they have regardless. Yep. And yep. I remember as a patrol cop, I learned about Epic and I started using them and I, I did exactly what you're talking about with the airport because I learned that our municipal airport was the biggest airport that was not controlled between the hours of two and 6 a.m. Yep. I was working midnights and that was my beat and I would go out there and I'd stop planes all the time because they got a they got to announce themselves when they land. And then, so I'd have a little scanner and they're not announcing themselves. And so it's like, well, why aren't you announcing yourselves? That's a pretty critical thing. Yep. And I'd roll up and I remember one time I rolled up and they, these guys were in a twin engine prop and they went right to the fuel station and I lit them up and part, you park your car so they can't get out. They're stuck. And they get out and they look at me like, what the hell's going on? I'm like, Hey, police officer, I like to talk to you for a minute. And they're like, yeah. And I, I told them what I was doing. And they start laughing. They're two, uh, they're, they're two HSI agents. Oh my gosh! <laughs> they were like, they were coming back home, and you know, we're getting ready, and they're in their, they're in their government plane, and they were, they were as happy as can be. Those guys were so excited that somebody was working the airport in the middle of the night that um, they gave me all, they gave me like a little class in the middle of the night about how to look for smugglers, and uh, just it was awesome. It was a great opportunity, and it's just stuff that I think beat cops miss sometimes there's just so much opportunity oh no doubt and you know you know this keith and we've both done patrol and i want everybody listening to know too that you know i tell everybody hey whatever you want to do do it 110 percent there's people there's officers that don't want to promote that don't want to go into other units and that's great um and you don't need a title to be a leader uh, one of the, one of the best leaders I've ever been around was somebody I worked in patrol with in Atlanta. His name was Mark Collins. Uh, and he never, he just loved working patrol and, uh, he did it his entire career and his 20th year was like his first year, you know, full of piss and vinegar. And the guy was a leader. And, uh, you know, so many times, you know, titles are not leaders you know the way you the way you lead by example your work ethic and and how you mentor the people coming up behind you and 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 quite frankly keith that's i'm worried about the, the mentorship that we have in law enforcement because if we're short right now on officers you know who's mentoring the people that we're talking about and, and to your point um like I took the initiation to go out to that airport. You took the initiation to go out to that airport. But a lot of times if these departments are shorthanded the way they are, the, 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 the initiation, the initiation is not going to be there because I've got to be handling my 911 calls and we're short right now. And we're only working three in the sector and so forth. So I, I, I worry about the, 
the initiation and, and the go-getting. And again, that's why it's so important to get as many agencies involved in what you're doing as possible and get all that training that you can. And Keith, you know this, I mean, I know several officers that are taking training on their days off to where the departments can't let them off for a training day. They're that short. So uh, we're at a crossroads. And um, I, I always, everybody's like, oh, I wouldn't recommend anybody going to law enforcement. I think it's the best time to, because you can really make a name for yourself. And again, if you're, if you're that leader and you want to be that go-getter and that mentor, it's a perfect time for you to go into law enforcement because uh, Keith, I'll be honest with you, man. It's scary. I go, I go teach, I'm sorry. I go present at my son's high school, the history teacher likes my background and she keeps bringing me in to talk to all her different classes. And the first thing I ask the students is who, who here is interested in a career in the public sector? Okay. And that, and before I asked them, I said, this could include the military law enforcement, you know, nonprofit, whatever. And only one person raised their hand out of 35 kids. Wow. And, and, and that's scary, you know, where you and I were growing up and I'm not going to mention how old we are, but I'm pretty sure Keith, half, half the kids would have put their hand up. I know they would have, whether it be military or so forth. So, you know, like I said, we're at a crossroads and um, I'm trying to get this point across to these kids that, Hey, if you, if you don't do it, who's going to, you know, and, and even in, I was back at the National Fusion Center Association meeting back in Alexandria a couple of weeks ago where all the fusion centers get together and collaborate on new ideas and so forth. And I had an opportunity to be in a room in a dinner where we had a lot of high higher up former, you know, chiefs of operations for DEA, uh, HIDA directors and fusion center directors that were like the grand poobahs of of, of you know, what we're trying to do and everybody's going around the room introducing themselves and so forth. And uh, I brought, I brought this point up that, Hey, this is all great that we're in here telling each other that have been doing this for decades that we need to keep doing this. But I told them that we really need to get to this younger generation that, that don't know what a fusion center is. And, and I tell you what, man, I was very, flattered at the end of the dinner where I've had several people come up to me and said, Randy, that was great that you talked about this high school generation because they're the ones that we're not paying a lot of attention to, you know? Um, and, and again, Keith, they're going to be the ones hopefully that are going to take the mantle and, and keep running with it, or at least walking with it. You know, you got to walk before you sprint, but uh, we, we've got to get that. We've got to educate these kids that are in, in high school, and, and in college, particularly where they're getting brainwashed, so to speak. I mean, it wasn't like that. It doesn't matter what college you went to back in the day, you weren't getting brainwashed. There might have been professors that were attempting to, but uh, today, what I'm hearing from some college students is like, it's pretty, un it's incredible. And uh, that's what I worry about is this generation that is being educated by people that are pushing agendas and opinions. And I, and I, I, I end the day at the school by telling them everybody's got an opinion everything that I've talked to you about 
for the last 45 minutes has been based on experiences. These are not Fox News opinions. These are not CNN opinions. These are my experiences. And I encourage them to draw their thoughts and their opinions on their life experiences, not being influenced by other people. And uh, we need to get that out to these kids, you know. Absolutely. Well said, man. Uh, I do want to take a minute to talk, and we're, we're talking about just what's going on in our society and, and just the direction we're going. I do want to take a minute to talk about China and the gray war that we have going on. And I'm going to let you run with it, but I just want to explain to our audience what a gray war is, which is it's not warfare where we're shooting each other, but it's not peace. It's that awkward part in between where both countries are kind of hurting each other, but it's not open warfare. And I, I, I gave my opinion about what I think is going on with China, but I'd like to hear from you, you know, about just the fentanyl and everything else coming from China. Yeah, and, and you and I spoke about this uh, at Pismo, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, we, we, need to re we need to realize that as much as we want to think the world is not this peaceful place and kumbaya. And uh, I will say that we are having lived overseas and experienced, again, that keyword experienced, all these different cultures and, and religions and law enforcement agencies that have to follow cultures and so forth. Uh, my, my meetings with military personnel at CENTCOM and UCOM were, was a common theme, Keith, and it was, Randy, if your offices can get cases into government officials in these three countries, we can give you military assets. And those three countries were Iran, Russia, and China. And if you look back, no matter what decade you were born, what decade you went into law enforcement, those three countries have always been the prevailing countries that are our threats. Um, and here's here's what separates two from the other china and russia want to see our democracy and the way we do things dissolve iran wants us off the face of the earth and that's just a fact and like you and i've talked about keith china has the approach where and i don't want to uh coin that song killing them softly but that's where it, and again just step back and just put some common sense glasses on and and look at their government um we're quite the opposite we're, we're the polar opposite of the chinese government we stand for democracy freedom and so forth and they've got kids working in in sweatshops making nike shoes or or whatever and uh, you see the riots in hong kong um it's a communist government the russian government is a communist government and uh they want to see our democracy fail um china it, you know i just i <laughs> grand canyon university had a vendor booth 
at the Wizen uh, Human Trafficking Summit this week, and I collect these little rubber duckies because for whatever reason, people are putting their uh, their name on it, and I think it's actually pretty cool. And I don't play with them in the bathtub or anything like that, but it's actually pretty cool. But um, so you know, I, I've got this duck, and I should have used it as a prop, but I flipped it over, Keith. And where does it say it was made in? Made in China. Exactly. And uh, just going back to what I talked about earlier and, and when I was in Honolulu is these boats and these barges and these ships going to Mexico through our state of Hawaii. And it's almost like it's like a slap in the face and going to Mexico, which is our biggest threat in the, in, 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 in the drug crisis to the south of us. So it's like it's like China's rubbing our nose in it, and like you said, they're they're putting poison into our streets, and they're just sitting back, and they're having the time of their life with this because, like you said, it's not military, it's not warfare, and uh, this is how civilizations, this is how organized governments create chaos and uh, you know going back to covid i i did this research at the time and uh you know i don't want i'm not a, a a conspiracy theory guy or anything like that but again we all know where that flu came from we we it, it we know it and can we prove it was leaked purposely or not purposely i don't know and and i don't want to speak on that because i'm not an expert on that but i told people look at all the flights that come out of china that hit our country on the west coast non-stop okay non-stop flights out of china to the west coast and i don't want to say this for sure but i did at that time and i can't remember keith because i guess old age but I want to say it was one of the, you know, the country to our country, it was one of the most nonstop flights of any other country. And then you look at, like we say, that's just coming back to our country, but you look at, you know, Beijing to London, Beijing to all these other places that are, or Shanghai or, or, or other cities in China that are nonstop flights. Well, if it's a nonstop flight, you can do a lot of damage with somebody getting off a plane mm. and stepping into another airport. And, and if I remember correctly, San Francisco, you know, we, we got our we got our first case pretty soon after they started popping up on the on the East Coast as well. And, uh, you know, it it, it goes back to, um, you know, a lot of times and, and Keith, we all know that our country is not perfect. People fail to realize that we're a fairly young country when you compare us to everybody else in the world. And uh, we have our problems and, you know, we need to recognize those. But countries are very jealous of what we have because what we have does work. And when you're competing economies like China, like China's economy and ours, I mean, if anybody's competitive, they're going to want to be number one. And China wants to be number one in everything. So as you call it the gray war, and that's exactly what it is. It's a gray area, but you know, they're, they're killing us softly. And uh, like you said, it's not with 
it's not with weapons it's uh it's with things popping into our country that nobody else has put here before so with uh so with them putting one of the things that people may not know is that china is giving tax incentives to chemical manufacturers mm-hmm. to push chemical uh, to push fentanyl precursors to ship them to mexico mm-hmm. but let's say something happens and we're able to let's say we are at war with china because we know what's going to happen at some point but let's say we have a war with china and somehow we stop that flow of fentanyl coming into america who's next up on the hit list of who's going to be importing fentanyl back to mexico oh that's a good segue um you've in in my experience keith not my opinion uh i think india is next up uh because of their proximity to china the water routes and so forth um when i was in the middle east uh i was in over our New Delhi office. And during that time, we found our first drug seizure of Indian manufactured fentanyl arriving in Mexico uh, that we'd worked, yeah, that we'd worked with the Indians. And uh, that right there was, that set an alarm at DEA headquarters because again, they want to get an Intel note on that and so forth. Um, Now, I don't know if that was a test or whatever, but uh, I do think that the information that I gathered was India a lot of times sees China as a big brother. And when you see a big brother type of country or relationship, you sort of want to be like that country. Uh, I'm not an economist, but I did read something a couple of years ago that I believe by 2035, um, India's economy was going to be the seventh largest in the world. Okay. So uh, I know that we've talked about this before, you and I, but I'm sure a lot of listeners don't know what tramadol is. And India was the largest exporter of tramadol there is. And tramadol is basically, it's it's a, an opioid of of mammoth proportions, but it just never reaches U.S. soil. It's predominantly in the Middle East and Asia and so forth. And there was massive seizures of tramadol in the Indian Ocean, the Arabian Sea, and so forth. Uh, So I think India is priming to be that next threat. Uh, We do have a great relationship with their government. But I'm not quite certain how the Indian government is, again, if they want to accomplish that goal of being that large economy, what kind of foot are they going to put down and so forth? Um, and they have a huge chemical uh, manufacturing. They have huge chemical manufacturing facilities in India, too. Yep. I'm not sure. I, I get the feeling that India is not going to be able to police them. I, I, I agree. Smuggling to Mexico. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we talk about India, you're talking about a vast Indian Ocean that surrounds it as well. And uh, I know that from experience because I was fortunate enough to visit the Maldives, which I highly encourage anyone visiting. Uh, Living in Hawaii for seven and a half years, I thought Hawaii, and I still feel that way, Hawaii is paradise on earth, but it's, it's got some, it's got some, um, 
competition from the Maldives as well. But one thing we haven't hit on yet is, you know, a lot of the heroin come out of Mexico, I'm sorry, out of uh, Afghanistan. And, and I want to mention another com- uh, another country that doesn't, we don't talk about it enough is Pakistan. Mm. Uh, the, the drug trafficking routes out of Afghanistan and Pakistan down the Arabian Sea out to the Indian Ocean. Uh, the Maldives has 2,000 atolls, which are small islands. And when you're flying into the Maldives, you're looking down and it's like, wow, there's a little island, there's a little island. So what happens is a lot of these panga boats, so to speak, are offloading heroin in these different pockets and atolls. And now it's going up to uh, the Maldives, which is going off to other places. Mali and the Maldives is a huge uh, port city. So now you're talking about things going off to Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand and, and other places. And then we did get information. A lot of times, Keith, people don't think that, you know, everybody thinks all this stuff is coming from Mexico and that's true. But a lot of times those routes are coming across the Pacific ocean, much like those Chinese ships stopping in Honolulu and so forth. These boats are making it all the way to the California coast, the, uh, the Washington state coast, Oregon coast and so forth. And Vancouver, uh, at one point, Keith, and I, and it still may be, but I don't know if people realize this, but I think Vancouver is the largest North American port. Okay. Yeah. So think about that. And I, I think I've heard back and forth that it's like Boston, Philadelphia and Vancouver, but I know at some point Vancouver was the largest North American port. So just let your mind wander there for a little bit as well, you know, and, um, but uh, yeah, we, we've got, we've got all these global threats all over the world. And, uh, you know, we've talked about this crime and unfortunately the, the, the drug cycle is it's, it's, you know, heroin was big. Like we said, back in the sixties, it popped its ugly head up again. And uh, so, you know, we've always got to be on top of what the next thing is. And, um, if you start talking about it now, you start getting people to start thinking about the future. Because a lot of times, you know, we already know that fentanyl is here. Uh, hopefully, we're going to be doing enough to to combat it and hopefully rid it from our country. Uh, but what's going to be the next thing? What's going to be the next fentanyl? You know, mm-hmm. I get it. Well, Randy, I have taken a lot of your time, man. I appreciate you coming on the show and um talking to our talking to our listeners they've i'm sure they've learned a lot uh a little bit like so the nick rick one thing i do want to talk about real quick too is nick rick just before we leave they have a lot of free training for police officers and they don't necessarily have to be from california is that correct well they they don't have to be but they the training that we put on Keith is, is for our membership our in our AOR, our 15 counties, but there's fusion centers all over the California, all over California. There's one in Sacramento. There's one in Orange County. There's one in San Diego, LA. And we have what we report to is a state threat assessment center in um, Sacramento. So if, you live outside of California, there's 80 fusion centers located all over the United States. So I encourage you to get with your local fusion center 
And, and again, they're going to be very receptive and, and the ones that have the ability to do so <clears throat> put on great counterterrorism training and so forth. So, uh, and again, everybody, we, we all sit here and go, oh, well, I'm, I'm a patrol officer. I don't, I don't need counterterrorism training. And, and that's quite the opposite. I mean, it, everything that we talk about starts on the street, um, uh, you know, talking about I'll give two examples, you know, Keith, how many people know the name Charlie Hanger? You know, Charlie Hanger was the Oklahoma State trooper who, who pulled over Timothy McVeigh, you know. I was just thinking about that guy right now as you were speaking about that. Yeah. And and again, uh, hopefully a lot of your listeners know, too, Eric Rudolph, you know, the Oklahoma, I'm sorry, the Atlanta bombing, the Atlanta Olympics bombing and the abortion. I mean, they better start paying attention to stuff like that because, you know, we have all this unrest right now with Roe versus Wade. The abortion clinic thing might pop up again or churches and so forth. And the first line officer is the, is the, the one that's going to see this. And, and I go to Eric Rudolph because I don't know if you remember, Keith, and I only remember this because I was so close to the situation working in Atlanta. You know, I, I was working the night uh, of the of the uh, Atlanta bombing and I heard it go off and I was in a different precinct. And when I switched over to that precinct, you hear all hell breaking loose. But I was close. I was close to that situation simply because I worked that night. But Eric Rudolph was discovered by a deputy going through a dumpster looking for food. And, you know, we talk about just doing your job, you know. So right there, two individuals, patrol officers doing their job, caught two domestic terrorists. And uh, so a lot of, you know, we talk about all these big cases and so forth. But a lot of times these big cases are solved at the, at the first level. So uh, that's a great thing. And just, we, we just got to remember, you know, why we do this job and, you know, you have to do your job for things like that to come to fruition and so forth. And it is, it is a tough time right now. I know a lot of patrol officers don't want to take the initiative, like we say, to pull <laughs> yeah. people over and stuff, because yeah. I get it. You know, everybody's watching and so forth, but you got to remember why you took that oath and, and, you, and you, you, you wear that badge for a reason. It all starts here. And, uh, but yeah, I, again, all the Haidas, there's 20, there's 20 something Haidas located all over uh, the country. Uh, just put in Haida in a Google search or put in Fusion Center and your local Fusion Center should pop up. Uh, and uh, I, like I said, I know at the NICRIC, we do a lot of great training. And uh, if you live in, if you live in the Bay Area, all the, from Del, uh, Del Norte County, all the way down to San Benito, uh, you know, like I said, reach out at nickrick.ca.gov and, and become a member with us. And uh, you'll have a lot of uh, tools and resources at your availability. Awesome. Thanks, Randy. I appreciate you coming on. No, Keith, it was a pleasure. And uh, I look forward to, to seeing you in person here real soon. All right, brother. You take care. Hey, Keith, if you ever get any uh, questions, follow up or anything from any of your listeners, please feel free to give them my email address. I'd love to connect with them and follow up about anything that, they heard that I could help them with. Absolutely. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. All right, Keith, everybody have a great day. Take Be care. safe. Thanks for listening to the Drug Training Podcast with Keith Graves. 
We'd love to hear your comments and respond to your questions in future episodes. Visit our accompanying website at www.onlinedrugtraining.com for more information, advice, training and to get in touch. And join us again on the next edition of the Drug Training Podcast. Podcast.